This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right, let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. It's spooky season. Oh no. I didn't... (laughs) I'm not interested in that. Unsubscribe. So I got a spooky story for nope, you today. No, the light off. Not. Where's the fun in that? It'll be great. It'll be great. You'll you're gonna love it. Oh. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Ogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Do you like scary movies? Do you watch the horror movies? Uh, No, I do not. I do not. In fact, I went on a hayride. I went to this little pumpkin patch with uh, Leslie and her two daughters mm-hmm. like a couple weeks ago, and they wanted to go on this hayride. And I was like, guys, the last hayride I went on was in fourth grade and it was haunted. And I still have, I'm having PTSD flashbacks right now. So why <laughs> do you get enjoyment out of telling me these things? You're so sorry for me. Because I know what's going to happen. <laughs> Don't like it. So. I guess we can get into our Patreon plug early because we just recorded our next mini creep, which is actually our last mini creep, because in this time traveling world we live in, (laughs) it will have dropped last Monday, where MoGab did the story. I did it. She wrote the story. She read the story. She did so good. It was such a good story. She told me the story of the murder of Marion Miley. You did so good. I was very proud of you. That was really fun. And it was weird being on this side of the mic yeah. for it. So that was uh, really interesting. Yeah, li- the torture, literally, of like yeah. not knowing where the story is going. You're like, am I going to commit to really cheering on this terrible human? Yeah. I'm you like, can't here's take a caveat. It back. Here's can't, a caveat. <laughs> can't take back your hot takes. And it was really good. So that was one of our October mini creeps. We'll have another one for you on the 31st. And that is available at the $7 level over on the Patreon, along with a bonus episode every month, which you also get at the $5 level, and a shout out on the podcast. And at the $7 level, you also get a sticker and a card with our autographs and wax sealed wax by, sealed by MoGab. And then if you jump up to the $10 level, you get all of that. Plus, you get a discount on merch. 
Plus, you get ad-free episodes, and you might get them even a little early. All right, so I am so excited to do this case. I have been waiting to do this case for Halloween, and I was going to do it last year on Halloween, but then I decided we did the Candyman episode. Which, have you seen all the social media things about that, where people are like, don't worry, no one's like lacing your candy, (laughs) and it's just like this whole... I don't know what it is. It's like this whole movement of people being like, quit checking the candy for razor blades. Your kids are going to be fine. Because it's the millennials that are doing that. Because it's millennials that grew up with that fear because that's what our parents were told. And so our parents were freaked out about it. So we all had to get our candy checked. Like, listen, Louise, quit trying to find, (laughs) quit trying to steal all my Reese's. Okay. We know what this is. Didn't you say, Louise, didn't you say your mom would put your candy, like she'd go to the police station to have it x-rayed? Didn't you say that? (laughs) No, but (laughs) just leave that out there because that is the most on brand thing. Who is that though? You just outed someone. (laughs) I, I My mom know. would never take that amount of effort. She would just like <laughs> she would just take the candy from me and be like, "No." So I didn't do it last year, and I was like, "This is a Halloween episode. I got to do it for Halloween." So I'm doing it this year, Ooh. and it happened to be really great timing because I went to go. Wait, is this dropping on Halloween? It's dropping on the 27th, so like a few days before Halloween. So like then, a Thursday at some before. point, do we need to say something about us or to your? And if this is going to be the 27th, do we need to talk about October 27th? Oh, yeah. It's also our two-year anniversary of the podcast. OMG. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? No, So this is going to drop on the 27th. The 29th is the day that we, like, officially launched the podcast, October 29th, 2020. It's also Mogap's half birthday. Also Mogap. Maybe that's why we chose that date. I didn't know that's why we were choosing that date, but uh, it seemed like a good date at the time. Wow, two that years. wild. Can you believe it? Two years? That's like 100 episodes or something. 52 episodes times two. Yeah. That's yeah, 104 took, episodes or more. Well, we took we took some time off, you know? We took some time yeah, off. Yeah, we also so. have all these bonus episodes, <laughs> too. <laughs> hey, uh, don't shorten it. I got something special planned for our 100th episode. So Ooh, okay. Our official 100th episode, not counting all of the bonus episodes, which, uh, by the way, there's about 13 or 14 of those over there on the Patreon right now. What are we doing <laughs> over here? So it happened to be really great timing that I waited because I went to go look. I, I had sworn there was a documentary on this case. So I went to go look to see if I could find it. There, there's not one. But what I did find was that Netflix just launched a show on this case like a week ago, two weeks ago. And because of that show and like the buildup to that show, they've given updates on the case, which was really exciting. So I got to have all of that, which was great. So Ooh. without further ado, huge thanks. So not without further ado. First of all, huge thanks. <laughs> more ado. More ado. Huge thanks to Reeves Weidman, who wrote the original article in New York Magazine in 2018 about it about this, as well as the update article like a couple of weeks ago. It came out on October 11th. Reeves's article was actually turned into a Lifetime movie a while back. And then, like I said, now it's a fictional show on Netflix and it is very fictional. And I'm hearing mixed, I'm hearing mixed reviews about what it is. Hmm. But today I'm telling you the story of The Watcher. (gasps) I'm so excited. I don't know what that is. It was June of 2014 and Derek and Maria Brodus were living the American dream. 
They had just closed on their dream home, a historic Mm. six-bedroom, nearly 4,000-square-foot Dutch colonial home in Westfield, New Jersey, with a $1.4 million price tag. Oh, my gosh. They loved everything about this house, and they couldn't wait to move in with their three young kids, ages 5, 8, and 10. Whoa, stop. Is this about to be about something creepy, looking in the windows, snatching your people up? Because I can't. I I will be up all night. (laughs) Not exactly. (laughs) The home was located in the center of the historic district in Westfield. Development of this area began in like 1866, and today it's a gorgeous neighborhood that centers around the boulevard, a wide, Mm. tree-lined street that consists mainly of large, turn-of-the-century revival-style houses. The boulevard has always been a very desirable street to live on, and the Broduses had just purchased 657 Boulevard which was built in 1905 and was considered one of the grandest homes on the block. Westfield is a small town of 30,000 residents located 45 minutes from New York, and it's often described by its residents as idyllic. It's considered one of the best places to live in New Jersey, and according to Westfield's website, they are a classic town for modern families. Gross. I hate that quote. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Someone get a rebrand. Someone get a rebrand. A classic town that Bloomberg ranked the 99th richest city in America. So the modern families that they're talking about that they're referring to are pretty well off (laughs) modern families. Uh, The worst thing to happen there in the last several decades was the roof and the Trader Joe's collapsed. And so they had to temporarily close. (laughs) (laughs) That was shade, right? People People were pissed. (laughs) Oh, I can imagine. Imagine being able, not necessarily Trader Joe's, because like that's like very specific. They don't have everything you need. But I thought about this the other day. Imagine being able to afford doing all of your grocery shopping at Whole Foods. Mm. If that's you, major shouts to you. Congrats <laughs> on all your success. But I, we went to lunch there just to get a hot bar Oh, my lunch God. It's like a $25 a hot- salad. Yeah, so congratulations to all the Whole Foods homies out there. Were you about to just say you spent $100 on lunch at Whole, at Whole Foods? Well, it was me and Russell, and I was about to. And then you, st- <laughs> then you said $25, so I stopped, but oh, here we are. Oh, my God. Yeah, you can't let that man loose in a grocery you store. You know that. You can go to, like, a fancy-ass restaurant for that. That's I know. Ridiculous. I thought about it for days. <laughs> days. Oh. Well, Maria had grown up in Westfield, just a few blocks away from the boulevard, but Derek had grown up in a working class family in Maine. And now, at 40 years old, he was the senior vice president of an insurance company in Manhattan. He was making enough money to afford this house of their dreams, and they just were thrilled, thrilled. But when they decided to buy, they knew the housing market in Westfield was cutthroat. Houses were always going into bidding wars, and in the New York Magazine article, one resident said they'd seen bidding wars where friends lost by $300,000. Oh, that's that's so many Whole Foods lunches. (laughs) That's more than I paid for my whole entire house. Yeah, that's nuts. (laughs) When 657 Boulevard was put up for sale, they never even put up a for sale sign, and they still had multiple offers above asking price. 
But the Brodises were the lucky winners and they couldn't wait to move in. The anticipation was real. But while the kids were busy deciding which fireplace in the home Santa was going to use at Christmas, Derek and Maria were deciding what to do about some renovations. They loved the house. They weren't planning on gutting it or anything, but they wanted to do some updates to the interior and finish off the basement, just some minor things before they moved in. They hired contractors, but Derek wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty, too. So one night in June, uh, this is 2014, Derek had been over at the house painting and it was getting pretty late. He was there alone, and so he decided to call it a night around 10 p.m. He brought the mail in before he left, and he saw the expected bills, but there was something else he wasn't expecting. A white, card-shaped envelope addressed to the new owner. (gasps) Was there a movie about this? There was a Lifetime movie, and now there's a Netflix show. I know. Never mind. The handwriting looked clunky, almost as if someone had written it using their non-dominant hand. And I'm sure Derek can now split his life into two parts. The part before he got this letter and after. And the after. Oh, that's never. You never want you never want to be able to do that. You never want no. to be able to split your life into parts. Exactly. The letter inside the envelope was typed, and it started out nice. It said, Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. But it quickly took a turn. It asked, how did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? And then it got weird. This is reading a lot like a next door post in the app. (laughs) It said, 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now. And as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s and my father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. The letter writer had personal identifying information of the Brodises. They knew they drove a Honda minivan. They knew they had three kids. They knew they were renovating the house, and they did not like it. The letter said, I see already that you have flooded 657 with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. The letter also said, quote, The house is crying from all the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard, when I ran from room to room, imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old, and so did my father but he kept watching until the day he died. And now I wait and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. Then the letter turned. I had a real hard time following that. Is that (laughs) that normal or should I ask you to repeat it? You didn't think it made so much sense and like really. (laughs) That's like a fever dream meets a next door post. (laughs) The (laughs) last. The letter then turned to talking about. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, 
(laughs) (laughs) The letter then turned to talking about the Brodus's kids. It said, you have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Do you need to? We cannot do this. We can't do this tonight. We cannot. (laughs) We cannot do this tonight. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Nope. 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 Was your old house? (laughs) Was your old house too small for the growing family, or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Shut up. The letter had no return address, but it did give some indication, maybe, of who they were. They wrote, Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll past each day. Maybe I am one. Finally, the letter ended with, Welcome, my friends, welcome. Let the party begin. And then the letter was signed in a cursive font, The Watcher. You know, I would (laughs) pack my bag swiftly and exit the nearest exit. What? (laughs) Yeah. What? What? Why? Why tonight? Why? Could you imagine getting that letter? So as Derek read the letter, (laughs) his horror grew and grew and grew. And finally, he was so freaked out that he ran around the house to turn off all the lights in case someone could could see him. Off? No, turn them on. No, off so that people can't like see him inside the house. Close the blinds, Derek. (laughs) There's no blinds on these windows. They haven't even moved in yet. There's definitely not window treatments. And then he called the police in Westfield. And the officer came out and Derek showed him the letter. And the officer was so confused. Derek, you better book your ass at a double tree. (laughs) Well, they don't live there yet. He asked him if he had any enemies and Derek couldn't think of any. And there wasn't much the officer could do. There's not much to go on. But he advised him to maybe move some construction equipment that he had on the back porch in case the watcher decided to try and throw it through a window. Oh, good. Thank you. Once the officer left, Derek raced back to the house that his family was still living in while they were waiting for the renovations to be complete at 657. And he showed Maria the letter, who was obviously equally freaked out. And she noticed a line in the letter that said, I asked the woods to bring me young blood, and it looked like they listened. The woods were John and Andrea Woods. They were the former owners of 657 Boulevard. The Broduses wondered if they knew something that they hadn't told them. So they wrote an email to the woods asking if they knew anything about the Watcher. The Woods had lived at 657 for 23 years, and it wasn't until a few days before they moved out that they received a letter from the Watcher. (sighs) Andrea said the letter was more strange than threatening. It had thanked them for taking care of the house. She and her husband hadn't really thought much of it, and they'd just thrown the letter out. She said the Watcher had claimed in their letter that they'd been watching the house over this long period of time. But Andrea said that in all the time she lived there, she'd never felt watched. She'd never even felt unsafe. In fact, they rarely even locked their doors. 
The Brodises asked the Woods if they'd go with them to the police and tell them that it wasn't just the one letter. And so they agreed. So that day, John and Andrea Woods went with Maria to the police station and they spoke with Detective Leonard Lugo. What a name. (laughs) Leonard Lugo. Leo Lugo, I bet he goes by. Oh, yeah. Or Lenny. Lenny Lugo. Leon. (laughs) Leon Lugo. He told them not to tell anyone about the letters. All of their new neighbors on the boulevard were now suspects. Oh, yeah. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. This letter had really freaked the Brodises out. Especially all the talk about the young blood. Derek ended up canceling a work trip because of it. And the few times Maria took the kids over to the new house, she'd freak out if they wandered into a corner of the yard and she'd like call them back. Yeah, They were suspicious of every new neighbor they met. Like when Derek gave a tour of the renovations to a couple that lived down the block and he felt that swell of anxiety when the wife said, it'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. 
Yeah, Derek, the tours are canceled, bud. <laughs> Cl- closed. They were invited to a barbecue across the street just to, like, welcome them and another new neighbor to the block. And the whole time, Derek and Maria were just scanning the crowd at this party, wondering if it was someone there that had sent the letter, while also not letting their kids out of their sight. Maria said people must have thought they were crazy because they just kept screaming for their kids to stay close. The paranoia was really starting to get to them. But is it paranoia if someone actually is out to get you? And then two weeks later, they got their second letter. It was Maria who found it this time, and she didn't even bother opening it before she called the police. This letter was not addressed to the new owners this time. This time, it was addressed to Derek and Maria by name. Though they did spell their names wrong. They wrote Mr. and Mrs. Bradus instead of Brodus, B-R-A-D-D-U-S instead of B-R-O-A-D-D-U-S. It was almost like they'd been close enough to hear their name spoken, but not close enough to have seen it written on anything. I feel like that, uh, I would feel like it'd be the reverse. Like you would find it written before you'd hear it. Right. You know, 2013, like like a quick Google search. Mm, Yeah. mm -hmm. This time, the watcher said, welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy, and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. Oh, shit. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time, (gasps) they will. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe you could just summarize the letters. (laughs) I don't need, like, a verbatim. (laughs) The watcher bragged about not only knowing their names, but also the nicknames of their kids and who was the oldest and the youngest. The nicknames are what Maria had been yelling that day when she was calling the kids to her when they'd wandered too far in the yard. The watcher said, I am pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. And the letter mentions seeing one of the kids painting on an easel inside an enclosed (gasps) porch at the house. The watcher asked, is she the artist in the family? And uh, unfortunately for you, I'm just going to read the rest of this second letter to you. No. (laughs) 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs... You would never hear them scream. Oh my god. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second in floor? In the attic? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. Okay. It at this <laughs> At this point, uh-huh. do you invite them over? Like, hey. Uh, we just save all the correspondence and the trouble back and forth. Well, and how why are they going to do that? Tour? How, they can't respond. <sighs> There's no return address. I am freaked out. And I it's know. so easy for someone to do that. That's it. I'm canceling our P.O. box. I'm not interested. <laughs> and it like, it, I just got a letter on the door today. Now, granted, it was about a fire inspection. But all you have to do is type something and fold it up and stick it in the door. Uh-huh. Yeah. I am. I am so stressed out right now. It said, all of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. 
And this house does have like a ton of windows on the front of it. Like, who am I? I am the watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Braddis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. Oh my god. Who is it? Also, who am I? Gossip girl. (laughs) XOXO. That's a secret I'll never tell. Tell. I I love how you were like, oh, no murders this week. This is worse. <laughs> no, it's not. This is worse. No, it's not. Oh, yeah. Because the person's got a roommate now. <laughs> this letter was even more threatening than the first one, and it really seemed focused on the kids. Derek and Maria completely stopped bringing the kids by, and now they were like, are we even going to move in here? Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> And no, thank you. The Watcher apparently wanted them to. When they hadn't been by in several weeks, a third letter came from the Watcher that said, Where have you gone? 657 <gasps> Boulevard is missing you. Oh, it's like definitely someone like keeping, like at first I was like, oh, it's someone like messing with them. Mm. But like, no, this person is like in tune with what they are doing. Yes. The Broduses had never wanted anything more in life than they wanted to know who was sending these letters. To know if the threat was an actual threat or if it was just a prank or a bored neighbor. They thought because the house had had multiple offers that it might be someone mad about losing the house. But the Or I could totally see like rich, bored high school kids. Yeah, but like would they have the linguistic ability to be that like rambly? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if they were high. Maybe. (laughs) It's reading like a real bad trip. (laughs) They thought that maybe it was like somebody mad about losing the house since there'd been multiple offers. But the Woodses said that one offer had backed out due to a medical diagnosis and another had backed out after they found a different house. So that didn't seem likely. I bet those people are thinking they're lucky stars. (laughs) Also, the Watcher seemed to be someone physically close by 657 Boulevard. They seemed to know the comings and goings of the contractors and the family. But it wasn't like this was a street teeming with activity. You know, we're not in New York. This was a suburban street. You might have your people walking their dogs Mm -hmm. past your house and that kind of thing. But you're definitely going to notice someone just like standing right outside your house watching. Yeah. Detective Lugo came by the house and Derek and Maria showed him where the easel was on the porch that the watcher had seen their child painting at. He'd written about it in the letter. Uh This area was hidden from the street by vegetation and it seemed like the only way someone would have seen them was if they were right next door or if it was someone behind the house. The Broduses did have a suspect in mind. When he'd been at that barbecue across the street, Derek had gotten to chatting with the guy that lived two doors down, John Schmidt. And John told him about the Langfords. This is the family that lived in the house between them. 
Peggy Langford was in her 90s, and several of her adult children, all in their 60s, lived with her. What? John said the family was harmless, but that they were a bit odd. John told Derek about one of the sons, Michael, who he said was kind of a Boo Radley character. (laughs) What a good name. I love Boo Radley. I know, me too. Michael had been diagnosed with schizophrenia as a young man, and he was known to do strange things that kind of spooked the neighbors. He'd walk through their backyards or peek into their windows. But the neighbors that knew him said that Michael was just a kind-hearted person. He was the guy that'd go and get your the newspaper every morning for his next-door neighbor. Yeah, but is he getting your newspaper and peeping in your window and, like, right. dropping weird notes in your mailbox? He is peeping in your window, but I don't know about the mailbox. People had known him for decades, and and they just didn't think that he was capable of writing these letters. But the more Derek learned about the Langfords, the more it just seemed to fit that it was Michael Langford or someone else in that house. Not only was the Langfords' house right next to the easel on the porch, so they had a clear line of sight, Mm -hmm. one of the very few places that did, but the family had lived there since the 60s. And the Watcher letters said that that's when their father had started watching 657 Boulevard. Mm. But the letter had also said that their grandfather had watched in the 20s, and none of the neighbors had been there that long. Peggy Langford's husband, Richard, he died 12 years before. And in the letters, the Watcher said he'd been watching the house for the better part of two decades. So that kind of fit, too. Okay, but, like, we just taken everything as fact? Well, that's another thing. That's, like, taking, yes, taking everything in the letter as, like, literal when it's just, yeah, a bunch of a fever dream and mixed with the next door. (laughs) (laughs) And a C.S. Lewis novel or something. (laughs) This. The screw tape letters mixed with the watcher. That would be <laughs> something to see. Michael Langford was brought into the police station for an interview, and he denied knowing anything about the letters. But Lugo supposedly told the Brodises that the narrative of what Michael said matched things mentioned in the letters, but no details on what. But they, and they couldn't prove it. They'd really need a confession from Michael if they wanted to prove it. And without that, there just wasn't much they could do about it. Derek was so frustrated. The threats against his kids were scary, and he didn't really like the police's philosophy that probably nothing will happen. Yeah, but I mean, I guess you can't do anything yet, but that's... Right. That's frustrating. So they started their own investigation. As obsessed as the watcher said he was with 657 Boulevard, that's how obsessed Derek became with the watcher. He'd go to the house and spend his nights just crouched there in the dark, waiting to see if anyone was watching the house. I'm sorry, are you insane? (laughs) You couldn't pay me one million billion dollars to do that. A trillion (laughs) dollars. No, not doing it. Billion dollars. I could not. Derek had a map that showed information about their neighbors, like when they'd moved in, who was in possible sight lines of the easel who might have been within earshot to hear Maria yelling the kids' nicknames. Only a few fit the criteria, and only the Langfords had been there since the 60s. The Broduses didn't leave it entirely up to them. They also hired a private investigator who looked into the neighbors but didn't find anything. Derek also happened to be on a high school board of trustees with a former FBI agent who was one of the inspirations for Clarice Starling from The Silence of the Lambs. So Derek reached Stop. Re- <laughs> yeah. 
So Derek reached out to her for help, as well as Robert Lenahan, another FBI agent. He wanted them to assess the watcher's threat level to tell him as an expert if probably nothing was going to happen or if he should really be worried. Derek, uh, let me be let me be your guide. Death threat level midnight. Okay. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> Agent Lenahan thought it was unlikely that the watcher would act on the threats, but he said that there were enough typos and errors in the letters to suggest the writer was erratic and unpredictable, so he couldn't say for certain that they were safe. He noticed that the watcher seemed to be directly angry at the wealthy, and he didn't like all the new money moving into town. One letter had asked, Are you one of the Hoboken transplants who are ruining Westfield? <sighs> That's where Russell's sister worked out in Hoboken for a little bit. Oh, like really? A trendy, young professional. Oh. And they definitely seemed angry about the renovations the Brodises were doing, which again, it's not like they were gutting the house. It was just like a few modest updates. Lenahan thought it might be a descendant of a former housekeeper of the home who was jealous that the Brodises could afford a home that they could not. But this is all just guesswork. And like you said, it's taking things yeah. said in the letter as literal. But the prime suspects remained the Langfords. The Westfield police told the Brodises to send a letter to the Langfords letting them know that they were planning to tear down the house. The watcher was clearly not in favor of any kind of renovation, so they hoped that saying they were going to tear it down would get a response from them. But nothing happened. They re-interviewed Michael Langford, they brought his sister Abby in for an interview, but all they got were accusations by the Langfords of police harassment. The Brodises had a lawyer, Levi Levitt, meet with the Langfords, and basically put the accusation on the table. He showed them the letters. He showed them pictures that proved that their house was at the perfect vantage point to see the easel on the porch. The Langfords were so angry at the accusation, and they said no way was no. this Michael. And at this point, if he's not the watcher, you've just totally ruined this relationship with these next-door yeah. neighbors that you're trying to live next door to. But also, like, you don't really have anything to go off of other than that, like, viewpoint. Which, if this person is just, like, mm -hmm. lives, like, you know, two streets over and they're just, like, walking over in, like, the backyard or something. I mean, I don't know. You have to narrow it down. I know. I wish I knew exactly where this easel was because they said that it was hidden by vegetation on the street. So it was unlikely that someone just walking by would have seen the kid painting on this easel. I don't think this person's just walking by. They're not just <laughs> moseying by. Like... <laughs> I think they're popping their whole head through the shrubbery. <laughs> but then wouldn't the Him kid unwell. have seen them? <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah. This is, the, this is the worst story I've ever seen. <laughs> and the Brodises weren't certain that it was Michael. They started to doubt it was him when they received those two other letters after the police had initially spoken to him. It seemed pretty reckless for Michael to continue to send letters when he knew the police were on to him. Yeah. But if it wasn't Michael Langford, it could literally be anyone. They felt like they were constantly being watched, not just at 657, but at the grocery store or anytime they were running errands in Westfield. If someone looked at her kids weird, Maria would go home and spend hours Googling them. Don't ask me how, but she would. Do you, um, 
feel like if it's you, you're like opening the letters as you get them, or do you just like not open them anymore? Like you're opening them right to figure out what they say. But there's only the three. I mean, there's only three letters. Like, yeah, I'm just wondering, like, if a fourth one came, if I would just be like, no, I'm good. I would definitely open it to make sure it didn't say hello. Just so you know, my secret identity is X Y Z, and I live here. Or like last night when I was laying next to you. Last night when I was watching you sleep, hovered over your body. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to be up all night. I'm going to be up all night. There's no indication that the watcher – well, and they never moved in, so that definitely never happened. By December of 2014, there was really nowhere for the investigation to go. There was no digital trail, no fingerprints, no crime scene to examine. They hadn't gotten any more letters, and the contents of the letters could contain clues to the watcher's identity. Or it could just be a bunch of rambling nonsense. So Derek went with what seemed like his one remaining option. He brought the letters to his priest and had him come over to bless the house. Ah, yeah. The renovations on 657 were now complete at this point, but the Brodises could not see themselves moving their kids into this house. How would they ever feel comfortable letting their kids play outside or have friends over? What if the letters became more frequent? Derek started looking into getting trained German shepherds. He put up a job posting saying that he would pay a military veteran to come just work out in the backyard every day. That's all you got to do. Come work out in my backyard every day. Okay, that's the creepiest part of the story because they're definitely going to think that's some type of weird fetish thing. All you need to get you is one chow chow. Okay. Yeah. Because they don't play around. Yeah. No. They were trying to figure out what steps they could take to feel safe in that house. When it finally came down to the fact that they were just not willing to risk their kids' lives for this house. This was not their dream house anymore. What was the, what are the kids' ages again? Five, eight, and ten. Yeah. But they were in a really tough spot. They'd already sold their own house. So they had to move in with Maria's parents, all the while paying over $5,000 a month for the mortgage and property taxes on 657 Boulevard. Throughout the winter, Derek was having to go over to the house to shovel the driveway and then come back to do it again for Maria's parents. (laughs) Whoa. Say less. That'd be enough for me right there. (laughs) It was a nightmare for him. They told me. I would have moved the whole family down south. They told people that they weren't moving in because of legal issues, and people started wondering if they were getting divorced or something. And it definitely was affecting their relationship. They were fighting all the time. They were having to take medicine to sleep. Maria went to the doctor, and when he asked... And that's the worst kind of fighting, because you know you're whisper fighting because you're at her parents' house. So you're not even... You're, like, trying to keep it down. Yeah. Yeah. That's the worst. Mm -hmm. Maria went to the doctor, and when he asked her... How are you? She burst into tears and decided she needed to see a therapist. And the therapist said that this stress would not go away until they got rid of the house. So they decided to sell. I don't know that I would feel much safer. I was thinking about this. I'm like, if they know, if this watcher knows everything about Mm -hmm. you, and yes, he's like watching Mm -hmm. the house, but I wouldn't assume that they weren't like, that they didn't know I was staying at my mom's or something. They seem to have this like, connection would, with the house more than with – and they didn't. They didn't Not feel safe like out in their community. They didn't. Yeah, they constantly felt watched. They constantly yeah. were looking for people that were looking at them weird or what – yeah. So they decided to sell the house. 
six months after they'd purchased it for $1.4 million. They listed the house for slightly more than they'd paid for it because of the renovations, but it soon became clear that they would not get anywhere near that for the house. Mm. Rumors had already been swirling about the house after it sat empty for months and months. And the real estate agents in town said that they were going to need to know more before they agreed to sell the house for them. So the Brodises submitted a partial disclosure statement to interested buyers and said that they would show them the full letters to anyone whose offer was accepted. <laughs> Offers came in, but at well below asking. And the Brodises weren't willing to take such a hit to their finances, but eventually they had to lower the price. And even then, finding a buyer was proving really difficult. One agent who had not read the letters told them that they didn't need to disclose these letters, that they were being too forthcoming. But Derek said, I don't know how you live through what we did and then think you could do it to somebody else. Yeah. So this got them thinking about the Woodses, who had chosen not to disclose that letter that they'd received from the watcher. And a year after buying 657 Boulevard, they filed a complaint against them. The Brodises said they hoped to reach a quiet settlement. They didn't want their kids finding out about the watcher letters during some long, drawn-out legal battles. But this complaint was, like, public, I guess, because soon enough, a local reporter got a hold of it, and this story went viral. Wait, really? Despite the Brodises' attempts to seal it. This brought out the news trucks. One reporter even set up a lawn chair outside 657 saying he was going to watch for the watcher. Now there's, now the watcher's got a watcher. Right. Media requests started pouring in for the Brodises, but they declined all of them. They were trying to shield their kids from this as much as possible. Eventually, they had to sit the kids down and explain to them the real reason that they weren't moving into the house. And the kids were so confused. They had so many questions, obviously. The same questions we all have. Yeah. Who is this? Where do they live? Why are they doing this? Once the story was out in the ether, the people of the internet latched onto it. They wanted to solve the mystery. And from their armchairs, oh, they sure. came up with a slew of suspects. A jilted mistress, a spurned realtor, a local high schooler's creative writing project, guerrilla marketing oh, for a me. horror movie. Which, side note, do you remember oh. all those sightings of the creepy clowns that were happening when It came out? Was, was that yeah. guerrilla marketing for It? Was that ever determined? That that was guerrilla marketing for it because I don't know. I was convinced at the time that it was, but then I never heard anything about it when the movie came out. But there was also, I remember, what year did it come out? Because it's either this or something similar, but there were all these clown costumes of people showing up on campuses at soror like scaring sorority houses and women. It was when I worked at DG, I think. 2017. It came out in 2017. Okay. Then... No, that can't be. Well, there was something a couple of years ago, let me just tell you, was the bane of my existence with people in clown costumes and sorority houses. And I Ooh. was that was part of my job. Oh, God. <laughs> like, trying to handle that. Ooh. That was terrible. Anyway, if you didn't know, people on the internet have opinions. And a lot of people thought that the Brodises were way overreacting. But the Brodises were like, you haven't even read the letters. You've just seen a few clips that were put into the complaint about the Woodses. 
So you cannot have yeah. an opinion on our reaction. Yeah, please stop with your opinions. But then there were a lot of people in Westfield who did not think that the Brodises were overreacting. Kids became afraid to even walk down the boulevard. The mayor had to reassure people at town council meetings that the watcher hadn't been heard from in a year and that the police had investigated the case extensively. Mm. And all the neighbors of 657 are like, they what? They did? When? When was this exhaustive investigation? The police had never talked to most of the neighbors. So how thorough right. could their investigation have been? Baron Chambliss, a veteran detective with Westfield PD, he was asked to take a look at the case. And when he looked into it, he said he didn't think the Brodises had gotten the support they needed with that initial investigation. And then he discovered something really interesting. A DNA analysis had been done on one of the envelopes, and it showed that the mm. envelope had been licked closed by a woman. Oh, <gasps> what? Yes. So Chambliss started looking into Abby Langford, Michael's sister, who also okay. lived in that house next door and actually worked as a real estate agent. So could it be that she was upset and missing the commission of this house that sold right next door? Chambliss was able to get a plastic water bottle that she drank from and he ran the DNA thinking it could be a match, but it wasn't. Mm. And then the Brodises got a call from the prosecutor's office and without saying how or why, they told them that they'd ruled out the Langfords as suspects altogether. The Brodises were gearing up to file civil charges against them and now the prosecutor's yeah. office is saying they're not even suspects at all? Sandy Langford, Michael's uh, brother, said that their family had moved to the boulevard in 1961 and had never caused any problems for anybody. And now suddenly their neighbor gets a few letters and everyone is pointing the finger at them. And it just seemed really unfair when there wasn't any actual proof that they'd done anything. So now that they're back to square one, the Brodises reopened their private investigation. They walked around the neighborhood with the handwritten envelope, hoping someone might recognize the handwriting from a Christmas card or something. But like I said earlier, the handwriting on the envelope looks like it was written deliberately to obscure the person's actual handwriting. Like right. maybe they'd written it with their non-dominant hand or something. I always curious when people do that, like why not just print a label or like print, you've already like typed out the letter. Mm -hmm. Like why? Maybe they don't have labels. Type the envelope. I don't know, but like, or type out the name and, you know, print it when you print the letter and cut it and tape it. Like, I just am always like surprised. Like, I don't know. I don't to me, know. it's easier to write with my right hand than to cut and paste. Yeah, but if you're trying to hide who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing came from their door to door search. They even had a security firm look for handwriting matches, but they found nothing. They hired a renowned forensic linguist named Robert Leonard, who scoured local online forums for similarities to the Watcher's writing, but found nothing. Though he did say that the Watcher probably watched Game of Thrones because Jon Snow is one of the Watchers on the wall, which I think everyone mm -hmm. in the world but me watched Game of Thrones, so that doesn't really narrow down the suspect pool. <laughs> So then Derek persuaded a friend in tech to get him in touch with a hacker so they could break into the Wi-Fi networks in the neighborhood. But that's actually super illegal and also like isn't as easy as it sounds. So they didn't do it. Or so they say. 
I do love Derek's like over here, like, <laughs> let me find a hacker. Let me find a retired military. Right. But let me get a German shepherd. <laughs> Just, like, and I respect it because I'd be losing my damn mind. Yes, but, exactly. Yeah. Police are now to the bo- down to the bottom of the barrel with suspects. They ask Andrea Woods and her 21-year-old son to submit DNA samples, but this was just grasping at straws at this point. But that might be because they had missed a huge clue. Around the same time that the Broduses got their first letter, another family on the boulevard got a similar letter from the Watcher. That family had lived in the house for years and years and their kids were all grown up. And that's what I think is the biggest thing with these letters is like, I can't just ignore it because they're threatening my small children. children. Yeah. But that family, they'd been there forever. Their kids were all grown up. So they just didn't think much of the letter. <laughs> my kids away. are on their own. <laughs> Every yeah, man for himself exactly. here. <laughs> but after the news broke about the Brodus's watcher letter, one of their grown kids posted about getting a similar letter on Facebook and then deleted the post like soon after. But actually knowing this information didn't really help the investigation. It just kind of made things even more confusing. Yeah. But Chambliss soon had another suspect in his sights. Literally. He was staking out the house around 11 p.m. one night when a car pulled up outside and stayed long enough to make Chambliss suspicious. He traced the plates Uh on the car to a young woman who lived in a nearby town. And when Chambliss talked to her, she said her boyfriend lived on the same block as 657 and that he was into some really dark video games and that in one of these video games, he played as a character called the Watcher. Wait, I'm sorry. She just offered this up or did the police like ask a question? No, she's just like telling him. I think she like went to that house to kind of like look at it to kind of be like, is my boyfriend doing this? I don't know. Oh, because she, oh, I see what you're saying. Like she knows this is happening. So she's like, yeah. Okay. Just because the envelope. Oh, and I'm sure like, yeah, I'm sure there was like a conversation back and forth, but yes. Just because the envelope had a woman's DNA on it, Chambliss didn't think that that meant that the watcher was necessarily a woman. They could have had someone else lick the envelope. So he called the boyfriend in for an interview and he agreed to come in on two separate occasions, but then he didn't show up to either meeting. And Chambliss didn't have the evidence to make him come. And as the media attention died down on this case, Chambliss dropped it and moved on with his life. But the Broduses couldn't move on. They had been so consumed by stress and fear. They still had a $1.4 million house to try and sell that they were, would definitely be, mo- be losing money on. Yeah. And now the neighborhood had come to a new, truly terrible theory. And that was that the Broduses had sent themselves the letters. <gasps> what? Yeah, I, I sure hope so because that would <laughs> that would make my night a lot better. No, they that didn't. would be ideal. But they said yeah. that oh, they just had some buyer's remorse, or they realized that they couldn't afford the house, and so they did this to try to get out of the sale, or yeah. it, it was because of insurance fraud, or, or they were trying to get a million bucks out of the Woodses, or maybe they were hoping for a movie deal. A movie deal. All of this was total BS. They had actually received several movie deal offers. They'd turned down all of them. Lifetime actually made a movie about them called The Watcher, but they'd changed enough details in the movie that they got away with it, even after the Broduses sent a cease and desist. They were like, we will neither cease nor desist. We're just going to change your names and make you a biracial couple, 
And that's going to get us past those regulations. There is now the Netflix show that just came out. And the Broduses were involved in that show. But in a very, if you can't beat them, join them kind of way. Yeah. Like, they were like, this is going to be made whether we like it or not. So at least this way we can have some control over certain aspects of it. Like, they made sure that Netflix changed their name and things like that. And that was also like six years after this happened. Yeah. The neighbors found it really suspicious. This this drives me nuts right here. The neighbors were so suspicious of them because they found it very suspicious that over the course of a decade, the Broduses had gone from a $315,000 house to a $770,000 house to now a $1.4 million house. Well, I mean, we don't know their financial. I mean, what? Yeah. We don't know. If- It seems totally ridiculous. Like, I don't understand why upgrading from a $300,000 house to a $1.4 million house in 10 years is suspicious at all. And Derek was moving up the ranks in his company. Derek was like, hello, this is America. Like, Yeah, that's what we're all supposed to be doing or want to do. Yeah. And then the the neighbors were like, why are they renovating a house that they're not moving into? And it's like, because they got these letters after the renovation started. Yeah, because they were planning on moving in. Right. The local paper. And even if they weren't, then you could maybe make more. You could list it for more if you, you know what I mean? People do it all the time. Right, right. The local paper in Westfield even said that Maria couldn't be that concerned about her children's safety since her Facebook profile was public and there was a picture of her kids on there. I mean, whatever. You know how I feel about Facebook. I think there are very few. Like, I, I know tons of people that are on Facebook and post pictures of their kids. And that doesn't mean they're not concerned about their children's safety. Yeah. I mean, I think every person that has kids, their profile photo is their kid. Right. Like, I don't know who half my friends are anymore because (laughs) there's like an infant has the profile photo. Exactly. But the family didn't make any public statements and they just kept to themselves. And so these rumors persisted. Lord Fluffernutter on Reddit said, I live in a neighboring town. If these letters have been happening for a while, there is no doubt in my mind that it would have been made public way before this. This screams scam. Okay, well, your name is Lord Fluffernutter, and you're on a forum, so. (laughs) And I don't follow Lord Fluffernutter's logic on this one. And also, the family would end up losing hundreds of thousands of dollars on a house that they never even lived in. If they planned this as some sort of financial scheme, it was a pretty weak scheme. And that they didn't that. do that. Yeah. It seems like the residents of Westfield wanted to believe that everything in their idyllic community was fine. Nothing bad can ever happen here. And for the most part, Westfield is a very safe community. But like in the 70s, yeah. it was home to one of the most infamous, horrific crimes when this guy that you've never heard of, who's very infamous, named John List, killed his wife, mother, and three kids in their home in Westfield. This was just like two and a half miles away from 657 Boulevard. But that doesn't mean that Westfield is a dangerous place. All of this just means that bad things happen everywhere. Like, yeah, it, you know, no matter what. Yeah. Most of the locals were more concerned with what this watcher story would do to Westfield's good name. And of course, what it would do to their property values. And then they were worried the Broduses wouldn't maintain the lawn, which they did do. But instead of, like, <laughs> looking at them like victims, the Broduses were treated like outcasts. They thought about moving, but Maria thought that that was letting the Watcher win too much. 
They'd already taken their dream home. They were not going to let them completely uproot their family. The neighborhood's treating them like whistleblowers. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. They ended up borrowing money from family members to get a second home in Westfield, and they used an LLC to keep the location private. But it was really stressful staying in town, and they still had to figure out what to do with the house. Eventually, they put the house back on the market in the spring of 2016. So many people were saying that they would have just ignored the letters and moved in anyway. So they were hoping that some of those people would put their money where their mouth was and buy the house. But every single potential buyer backed out as soon as they read the letters. It was looking like their best bet would be to sell to a developer who could tear down the house and put two houses in its place for like a million dollars a lot. 657 was one of the largest lots in the neighborhood, but it was just shy of the mandated lot size if you split it, like three feet too Mm. small, like three feet. So they had a hearing. Yeah, you just got to get someone to like brush that under the rug. (laughs) Well, no, they it has to be approved. (laughs) They needed an exemption. But at a hearing to discuss this issue, the neighbors kind of freaked out about how aesthetically unpleasing it would be to have two houses that would have to have the horror mogab front facing garages on this street. I'm get- sorry, is that for real? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're oh, like, no. they're going to have to have the garages in the front. What oh, God. Oh, how no. will we ever survive? The the Brodus's attorney kept threatening the other possibility, which was they could make it a halfway house, and the neighborhood was Obviously. in a total uproar. <laughs> the, hear- the hearing lasted four hours. No one really said anything about why the Brodus's were trying to tear down 657 in the first place. Their neighbor across the street, Tom Higgins, did ask about whether or not the lunatic that had sent the letters had been apprehended. But then said that putting two houses there would stick out like a dog's balls. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Mr. Higgins, go home. <laughs> he said it was a phrase he'd picked up from a friend in Texas. <laughs> like, don't blame that no, on Texas. No, it was not. <laughs> no, it was not. You just made that up. <laughs> Several of the neighbors did feel bad for the Brodises, but their sympathy only went so far. I mean, think about the front-facing garages. Yeah, gosh. They didn't think that it would be right for the Brodises to profit financially from a deal that would not be in the best interest of the block. So finally, at 11.30 p.m., the board unanimously rejected this proposal. And side note, a year or so later, the planning board would approve splitting up a lot around the corner from 657 (gasps) that needed an even larger exception than theirs did. Oh, you know they you know they know about that. Like, you know, they found out about that. and They're just yelling. Derek and Maria Brodus were distraught. Their finances were in a horrible state. They were still paying the hefty mortgage on the property, and they'd paid around $100,000 in property taxes because the town had also denied their request for relief from that. And they'd spent at least that amount of money trying to investigate the watcher. And they were still having to take care of the property. They're still having to clean the gutters and shovel the driveway and mow the lawn. That's insane. I would have. I, I know. Could you imagine the rage while you're over there? Like, no, mowing the lawn? no, absolutely not. Maria said it felt like the town had decided that the house was more important than them. And it seemed like the majority of the town just thought the whole thing was a hoax anyway. Yeah. Soon after the hearing, a family with grown children and two big dogs agreed to rent 657 Boulevard. It had been a year since the watcher had written. 
And the renter said he wasn't worried about the watcher, but he did have a clause in the lease that let him out in case another letter showed up. Two weeks after the renter moved in, there came another letter, and it was dated February 13th, which was the day that the Brodises had given their depositions in the, their lawsuit against the Woodses. And this letter was addressed to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. Okay. We're really getting colorful now. Right. It said, you wonder who the watcher is? Turn around, idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbors who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. No, who is it? They don't know. I know. No, they don't know. It went on to say, I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. I watched as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates, the letter read. My soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the watcher. What? The letter mentioned the renter, who, despite his early bravado, was spooked. But he agreed to stay if Derek put up cameras around the house, especially since this letter was especially threatening. Wait, I never thought about that. He never put cameras up. And he was over here like, let's get a military guy to work out in the backyard. We didn't. Or I'm going to sit about, and like, squat in the dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like maybe some cameras. I know. And especially since this letter was very threatening, especially threatening. It gave a list of all the ways the watcher could take revenge. It said, mm. maybe a car accident, maybe a fire. Maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but make you but makes you fell sick day after day after day after day I already after got day. That. <laughs> Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. It said, Ugh. you are despised by the house and the watcher won. Maria felt like they were back to the very beginning. But a new letter meant new evidence, and this might be the thing they needed to break the case. Derek took the letter to the police station and met with a detective, and the detective got a map out of the neighborhood, and he drew a circle with a 300-yard radius around the house. But Derek told him, in my view, it's one of 10 houses in the world. Hmm. There were several people in the neighborhood that made the Brodises suspicious. There was an elderly couple who had been living there for 47 years. They lived directly behind 657. And one of the contractors during the renovations had seen this man sitting in a lawn chair in his backyard facing 657, just sitting there looking at the house, he said, instead of turned around looking at his own house. But this doesn't seem that weird to me. I'd have to see like what they're really talking about. I did yeah. look up the houses on Google Maps. And I don't know, when I sit out back at my house, I'm facing the house behind me, not turned around facing my own house. So I don't yeah. think it's that weird. I'm not facing my own house because I want to see, like, out right. into the yard. Like, right. Like a squirrel or something. Right, exactly. 
what was kind of a weird coincidence was that they had a grown like I don't know if the guy meant his lawn chairs were like right up against the fence or something like that would be weird. Yeah, that's weird. But in the Google image, the lawn chairs are up on like a porch, you know, a backyard porch. But I mean, they could have been six years ago back much farther. Anyways, what was kind of a weird coincidence was that this couple had a grown daughter who married a man who had actually grown up in 657 Boulevard. Okay. But like, you know, that was just one of numerous suspects and it could mean nothing or it could mean something or it could be someone that they'd never suspect at all. Right. And as time passed, the Brodises just had to live with the what ifs, as in, what if this had never happened? What what would our lives look like right now if we had never gotten those letters? That's really sad i know especially because you said it was their dream home and then when you were like it's not anymore i'm like yeah like yeah this the whole vibe the whole vibe is ruined yes but they're not scared of the watcher anymore at least they're not living in that fear induced state that they'll be attacked at any time but they were still suffering financially the rent from their new tenant wasn't enough to cover the mortgage their kids were getting teased at school over this And that rumor that they'd done it themselves continued. And people were really cruel about it, especially Facebook, which has become the new YouTube comment section. One person wrote, I wish we could go back to the days of tar and feathers. I have just the couple (gasps) in mind. Like, why do you hate them so much? Yes. Like, Like, why? What is it to you? Why don't you just be grateful you're not getting the letters? Right. I couldn't imagine commenting like that and, like, drawing any attention to myself. Mm Mm-hmm. In Mm -hmm. all of this. (laughs) I would not want any. No kidding. Yeah. And then several of the families that had been the most vocal against the Brodises online started receiving anonymous letters themselves signed by friends of the Brodus family that accused them of speculating inaccurately about the Brodises. But it turned out it was just Derek Brodus that wrote them. He just couldn't take it anymore. (laughs) Wrote oh. these letters and okay, I I don't love that, but like I mean, I'm just he's barely holding it together. I mean, you know, truly, at this yeah. point, and I can't even blame him. No, I know me either. In March of 2019, the Brodises finally put the house back on the market. Five years after they'd purchased it and never moved in, the price was significantly lower than what they'd paid for it. They listed it at nine hundred and ninety nine thousand. When again, they'd paid almost $1.4 million, and they eventually sold it to a young family for 959000 A loss of like half a million dollars, probably way more than that when you consider agents, yeah. cuts, property taxes, bills, utilities, home insurance, the Everything renovations, else. the private investigators, the lawyers, all of that. Derek had made 60 mortgage payments of like $5,500 for a house that he had never lived in. They wrote a note to the new owners that said, we wish you nothing but the peace and quiet that we once dreamed of in this house. And they also sent along a photo of the watcher's handwriting in case any new letters showed up. But none ever did. (gasps) Really? Yeah. Back in 2015, the mayor of Westfield said that the investigation into this case had been exhaustive, had left no stone unturned. But everyone now knows that that was basically BS. Like, the police never spoke to a lot of the immediate neighbors of 657. They refused to work with the investigators that the Brodus hired, people like a retired NYPD uh, detective, 
former FBI agents, a forensic linguist. I never understand that. Like, don't they want answers too? You would think so. Like, you would think so. And I get that, like, this isn't a violent crime and you might have those to solve. And so, like, you can't, like, maybe you just don't have the resources to put on this. But but it could be. You can't, right. And it, well. It could have. But even in 2014, like, even today, stalking cases and threats are not taken that seriously, you know. A few weeks after the New York Magazine article came out about that case, the prosecutor's office in Westfield decided to give the case one more try. They had that DNA from the envelope, and so they decided to canvas the neighborhood and ask for voluntary DNA samples. And most of the neighbors were very cooperative, but none of them matched. But there were several people who weren't home during the canvas, so they never got their cheeks swabbed. Mm. Two people Mm. refused to do it. One of them Mm. was a close neighbor of 657 and was already a suspect of the police's, which I have to assume must be the Langfords, but I don't know. The Brodises asked the prosecutor's office to use forensic genealogy to find the culprit. And we've talked about forensic genealogy in cases like the Angie Dodge case. It was also huge in the apprehension of the Golden State Killer, which most listeners are probably familiar with, but you are probably not. I kind of know the gist. Yeah. But the prosecutor said, like, sorry, mate, we've never used that before. We can't justify using it on some letters written five years ago when we've got unsolved rapes and murders. But the Brodises even offered to cover the cost. And this is where I just don't understand it because they still refused to let them do it. Like, I get it if it's a money issue and a resource issue. Like, yes, these were letters Mm -hmm. that were written five years ago. Nothing ever came of it. Like, whatever. Let it go. But like when they're let they're saying I'll pay for this, just I'll give me it. the DNA. Like, then just let them now, do why it. Why are we not doing that? No. Yeah. And at this point, the prosecutor's office says that the investigation isn't active, but it isn't closed either. Mm. After the canvas of the neighborhood, one neighbor seemed especially angry about it. They sent an anonymous email to several local officials basically asking them what gives them the right to go door-to-door demanding DNA samples, which I don't know how demanding they were being, but it was supposed to be voluntary. And it was because Mm. people did refuse. The letter also said that this wasn't the best use of the prosecutor's resources, which in this uh, letter writer's opinion would be better spent pursuing illegal aliens, their words. So that, you know, real great, real great Mm -hmm. person. The letter was signed Malcolm Mannix, which comes from a TV show in the 60s where Lieutenant Art Malcolm helps a private detective named Joe Mannix solve crimes. So this means that there was someone with a working knowledge of 60s pop culture that wrote an anonymous letter about being upset that they were trying to figure out the identity of the watcher. But no one knows who wrote the email either. So they don't know if it's connected. You know, they don't know. Maybe like emails we can track. But I mean, yeah, they're not. Gonna. But it was like an anonymous email. But yeah, I don't I don't know if they tried to get IP addresses or what. Once the article in New York Magazine came out, the story was everywhere. Everyone wanted to solve the case. Some readers saw a connection between the letters and the works of Shirley Jackson, which side note, did you ever read Shirley Jackson's short story, The Lottery? I feel like this is the name. Oh, just as you said that, I was trying to place her name. Just today, I saw a TikTok that was like, Whatever high school English teachers that teach the lottery, what is wrong with you? Because I read that story one time and I have thought about it every month ever since. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've read that story like 20 years ago, one time. I've only ever read that story once. 
and it has lived rent-free in my head since the day that I read it. Well, I will not be partaking because this is already living rent-free in my head right now. (laughs) So they saw a connection between the letters and Shirley Jackson or the novel Watching You by Michael Robotham, Mm. which was published just a few months before the first letter. And its narrator is a stalker. And the last line of the first chapter is, I am the one who watches. But even more like the letters was a gothic mystery from the 19th century called The Familiar by Irish author J. Sheridan Le Fanu, maybe? The story is about a man, Mr. Barton, who starts going insane after he gets a series of anonymous threatening letters at his home, all signed The Watcher. Oh, well, that seems very similar. Yes, but, you know, these literary connections didn't actually go anywhere, and things devolved into just pointing fingers almost randomly. One person was suspected Mm -hmm. by people in town because he lived down the street from 657, was a member of the local historical society, and liked to write letters. And I suspect that most people that are members of their local historical society also like Like, to write letters like i i could see those two hobbies having a lot of overlap (laughs) well it's my kind of style exactly (laughs) the theory that seemed to have the most weight behind it involved an english teacher at summit high school named robert kaplow summit was two towns over from westfield and kaplow had been teaching there for like 33 years He was also a writer and comedian. He'd performed short comic bits on NPR under the name Mo Moskowitz. His most well-known novel is called Me and Orson Welles. I don't know if you've heard of it, but Richard Linklater turned that into a movie. And the novel is full of references to Westfield, where Kaplow grew up Hmm. in the 60s. Well, Mr. Kaplow told a story to his students about a house in Westfield that he was absolutely obsessed (gasps) with. And he'd had this idea to write letters to the house. Not to the people that lived there, but to the house. And his students said that he'd sent over 50 letters to this house. (gasps) On top of that, there were other things that just seemed to fit. Like he retired the same month the Watcher started sending letters to the Brodises. His brother Richard still lived in Westfield down the street from 657. In fact, during the complaint against them, Richard Kaplow had actually represented the Woodses during the Brodises' complaint Mm. against them. Kaplow says, you know, of course it's not him. The house he wrote letters to was a Victorian on the north side of town. He was friends with the family who lived there, and his letters were definitely not threatening. They were very admiring of the house. Now he spends half his time removing the paragraph about all of this from his Wikipedia page, where someone just keeps going back and adding in (laughs) this paragraph about him being the watcher. (laughs) God. So who is the watcher? Probably an it's old. It's him. <laughs> I don't think it's him. I'm gonna go add it back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's probably an older person who lived near six five seven. But until we get a DNA match or a solid confession, we may never know. Wait, this is not solved. No. <laughs> <gasps> you bitch. The Brodus. Are you kidding? The Brodus's are, are still offering me? to pay for the forensic genealogy in their case. <laughs> <laughs> Mogab has literally just uh, flipped a table and walked out of the room. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. I know. And that's so just, the story of The Watcher. And that's how our friendship ended. <laughs> you know, we just got a review where the person's like, I love that all these cases are solved. 
So wait, what is what is this TV show? What are they? What's the show about? There's no ending. I'm sure they like make up a. I'm sure they make up an ending. Yeah, it's very fictionalized. I think they even bring in the John List murders. I've heard. Yeah, I'm not sure. I've I've heard mixed wow. things. I've heard. Well, I haven't heard mixed things. I've heard like polar opposite things. Like this is the worst show I've ever seen, and this show's pretty good. So. Oh wait, didn't someone post that? Someone posted yeah. this in our. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the worst story I've ever been told. So. In our Facebook discussion group, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't it crazy? Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, it? no, you're crazy for telling me this. You're making me sit here. You could have prefaced it with like, hey, just so you know, when I was like freaking out, I'm going to get creeped on tonight i did tell you several times that they never came in the house or anything you just weren't listening at those points no i heard that oh. that's still well what did you want me to tell you by the way they don't know that who did it, it. <laughs> yes that is what i wanted you to tell me i think that would have made it worse at the time <sighs> all right well on that note <laughs> do we have any shout outs no, none for you, Glen Coco. <laughs> no, none for you, Glen Coco. I am not. I'm not. I'm not well. I'm not well. You know what's crazy? Looking at the top of this list, our very first shout out. I think we should shout this person out again. They were our very first shout out ever on the Patreon. Wait, who? Amy Beverage. Like the drink. LOL. Amy Beverage. Oh. You were our very first shout out. Our very first shout out. Okay. All right. You go first. All right. Don't compare them to Lindsay Lohan and Mean Girls. They'll unsubscribe. Oh, I didn't even see that. <laughs> Katie O. Like Elizabeth Katie Stanton. If you compare me to Lindsay Lohan and Mean Girls, I will unsubscribe. We're I will not, not do that. It. I don't I don't know who Elizabeth Katie Stanton is, but she sounds lovely. And I won't compare you to Lindsay Lohan, but did you see that Lindsay Lohan is gonna be in a Hallmark movie? Yes. It's a redemption tour, everybody. I will definitely watch that, I'm sure. And uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton was a women's rights activist, so she was a pretty cool lady. Don't act like you didn't just Google that, though. I saw that cell phone going. <laughs> I knew the name. I just couldn't remember what I knew her from. I'm cutting out all of that to make me sound smart. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I figured. You, you have control, so. All right. Next up, Elise. 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 Like Elise Myers? Yeah, like oh, Elise. Like, oh my God, what if it, oh, it's not. But uh, you're probably just as cool. <laughs> Elise. Yeah, Elise. Elise. We're just as cool. As Elise Myers. With that, what, I can't tell what that emoji is, but like a swirly eyed. No, glasses. it's a glasses eyes. It's a smiley. Oh, uh, the glasses eyes? Yes. Elise, do you wear glasses? Are you super smart? Why is that? Did the you know who Elizabeth Cady Stanton was off the top of your head? I feel like we should have known that. Did I? Oh, did Elise? No, did Elise. Oh, I was like, no, you know I didn't. <laughs> Neither did Kristen, even though she's gonna cut it. And next is Jenny. Oh no. No, you don't want to say your name. You two make my day. I love you both. Jenny, I feel like you'd be okay if we said your name because it doesn't say Jenny who. Jenny says, we make her day. She loves us both. But Jenny, who do you love more though? Yeah, Jenny. You got to pick. Yeah, Jenny. Sophie's we choice. Uh, but we both love you also. <laughs> you. We so do. So thank yeah. you. Next up is 
Jacqueline. 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 Are you a state chess champion? What? Yeah, I just think so. I think that Jacqueline is probably playing chess and she's a champion. But she's a Hanks. Jacqueline Hanks. That's not a chess champion. That's like that's a that's a Are you a rodeo champion? That's that's what I was thinking. (laughs) Horses. Jacqueline, you a horse girl? Are you a rodeo champion? Or are you I a chess was thinking girl? not rodeo. I was thinking she's a equestrian. Yeah, like a, like a. <laughs> I don't know what motion you're doing. I want to say derby, and that's not right. A jockey. <laughs> a jockey? No, jockeys are like four foot and like eighty pounds. Well, my friend Jacqueline. I don't know. Are there female jockeys? Probably not. I've never seen a female jockey. Ever. Feels very male dominated. You know, my my grandma was friends with a. A jockey who won the the Your derby. Your grandma is the coolest human. Yeah, she really like is. She really all the was. stories you told me of her. Is she, she just had she had so many she had nine lives. Yeah, she did. Yes, yeah, she did. Shouts to Kristen's grandma too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all so much. We just love you guys, and thank you so much for listening. You can support the podcast by. Oh wait, I have one more announcement. Oh, okay. I meant to say this at the beginning, and I, I look, we can't shout out every piece of mail that comes to the P.O. box, but we got a box that had a very sweet send. It was a package of challenge coins and police badges, and the, the letter wasn't signed, so I don't know who it was from, but it was- It was at Zachary. Bo- oh, it was? Actually, wait. The box said Kristen's plus one now that I think about it. <laughs> you told me that it now was that at Zachary and then it. he messaged us about if we'd gotten a pa- asking if we'd gotten a package. I said that to you? Yeah. I can play back the Marco Polo. <laughs> oh. You okay. said, I think it's at Zachary because it said Kristen's plus one. You're like, it's Leslie. It's oh. either Leslie or Ed Zachary. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but you confirmed that it was? Well, he messaged us about it and asked if we'd gotten a package late, like recently. And I said, oh, yeah, but MoGab got a package, but she hasn't done the unboxing with me yet. And so he was just like, okay, I was just making sure it was delivered. Oh, well, I unboxed it and it made me tear <laughs> up because people in that like line of work, those things are a really big deal. It's an honor. And so we are honored yes. that you shared that with us. So thank you. Thanks, that was very sweet. Ed. I can't shout out all of the... All of the mail we get, but that one was very kind, so special. Yeah, thank you. That's the kind of mail I want. Here's the things I don't want coming in the P.O. box. And let me tell you, the first person who sends something like that, denied. You are just- I will not open it. You are just now giving people a challenge, MoGab, so- No, literally, I will quit the podcast, so- All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Please don't make MoGab quit the podcast. Um, I like having her around. Uh, You can support the podcast by following us on social media. We're on Instagram at CreepersPod, sometimes on Twitter at CreepersPod. Never on Twitter if you guys make MoGab quit the podcast, so don't send her anything weird. Yeah. (laughs) Join our Facebook discussion group, the True Crime Creepers discussion group. You can also support the podcast by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash truecrimecreepers. And yeah, and be sure to tune in next time when I'll tell Mogab another wild story and she's going to hate me forever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously, 
you're fired. The next one's a survival just... story. Oh, well, the... mark this as my survival story, please. <laughs> I was just checking our Twitter to see if I tweeted for October. Oh. Well. Does retweeting Robbie account? Yes. <laughs> Does her tweet? <laughs> oh. Okay. Bye, peeps and creeps. Bye.